if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us, rather, here on AM 1420. The answer at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock as we get rolling. It is a Wednesday, the 24th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Coming up, we have a packed show today. Uh, really good newsmakers and people I think you're going to want to hear from. Joining us in, uh, let's call it uh, about a half an hour, Bob Paduchik. Senior advisor with the Trump Pence campaign. Trump coming off of his first rally since COVID 19 struck. He was in Tulsa. We know the story. He gave a great speech. It was uh, pretty much widely um, praised for its content, for the most part, not all of it, but for the most part. Uh, but it was poorly attended by Trump campaign standards, and there were a lot of reasons offered as to why. We're going to talk to Bob Paduchik about that and about polling and about where the campaign goes as we head into the heart of the summer just four months roughly away from the re-election or from the election rather and hopefully the re-election of president trump so paduchik at 9 35 at 10 10 this is one i've been holding for a few days looking forward to talking to salem radio personality and best-selling author michael medved michael is going to join us at 10 10 from seattle not to talk about the chop zone or anything else, and I've got news on that in just a bit, but Michael Medved is going to join us to talk about slavery. And the reason why is a Democratic senator who last week declared that the United States didn't inherit slavery, the United States created slavery. We invented slavery. It is a uniquely American uh, institution. Michael Medved wrote a book including an entire chapter discounting and disputing and highlighting the history of slavery through the peoples of of the ancient world, all the way up, of course, to modern times. Michael Medved is going to dispute all of that coming up at 1010. And then at 1035, you saw what happened with the Supreme Court last week. They uh, decided, thanks to Chief Justice John Roberts, siding with his four like-minded liberals, decided that, the unconstitutional, illegal DACA program put into place by Barack Obama, knowing that it was unconstitutional and illegal, can't be removed by President Trump because he didn't like his reasoning. There should be no reasoning. It's just simply illegal, and therefore it should end. But they said, according to Roberts anyway, that the sound reasoning must be there, whatever that means. 
at any rate, uh, between that story and then yesterday commemorating the 200th mile built, which is not nearly enough, but it's a it's a milestone, quite literally, of uh, southern border wall, President Trump highlighting that. For all of those reasons, we're going to talk to David Ray from the Federation for American Immigration Reform. So Bob Paduchik, Michael Medved, and David Ray this morning. We're going to start, however, here in the state of Ohio. Want to talk about, and thank you, by the way, once again to um, Jack Windsor, who's becoming a fixture on the program. We're having him on on a weekly basis. I would like to have him on more probably, but I can't uh, uh, dominate his time like that. He's a very busy guy, busy exposing the lies coming from uh, Mike DeWine and John Husted and uh, formerly Amy, former health director Amy Acton and others uh, down in Columbus. But uh, we talked to him yesterday about the lie uh, he said technically when they say there are 723, for example, uh, new cases of positive tests, rather, for COVID-19, he said technically that is the truth, but absent the context. That could mean 70 people being tested 100 times. That's an extreme example, of course, but there are so many different ways to count those numbers. It does not mean 723 new people in the last 24 hours uh, tested positive for coronavirus. They are lying, they're manipulating the numbers, and they are trying to continue to destroy this state. And you say, well, why would the governor of the state want to destroy Ohio? Why would the governor want to uh, uh, continue to harm businesses and continue to have restrictions in place, et cetera, et cetera? Why would would he do all of those things? Well, I would ask you, (coughs) excuse me, I would ask you why he took the unprecedented steps that he did at the beginning of this whole thing in March, relying on the phony uh, models and the horrific misinformation by one of the worst performers at a public job maybe ever while receiving as much praise for that horrible performance as Dr. Labcoat did. He relied upon Amy Acton's models and numbers in making the decision to shut down the state and then suddenly started reaping the praise, along with Acton, of uh, people at the national level. Time Magazine, Newsweek Magazine, uh, 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 Meet the Press, etc., etc., all talking about America's governor. You want to know why he did what he did? Because it was personally gratifying for him. His own personal ego and political um, uh, mindedness uh, got a huge shot in the arm. He wasn't going to turn down all of that positive attention. If he wants to be a two-term governor, he's going to ride what's popular. And what's popular is saying COVID is killing everyone. Let's shut down the state. Mike DeWine is an example of the most of the worst kind of spineless leader and he got praise for his spinelessness. Amy Acton got praise for being wrong. All of this, why am I rehashing all of this because of the announcement yesterday? A class action lawsuit has been filed against Governor Mike DeWine and Dr. Labcoat Amy Acton for taking a sledgehammer to Ohio's economy. Nine Ohio dance studios, including four in Northeast Ohio, have filed a class action suit against the state of Ohio. Mike DeWine, former Ohio Department of Health Director, uh, Department of Health Director Amy Acton, Attorney General David Yost, Interim ODH Director Lance Himes, and local health commissioners. The class action says the facilities are owed monetary compensation because of what it claims are unconstitutional orders against mass gatherings deeming which services are essential, the stay-at-home order, and the state's guidelines for dance facilities to operate during or due to the coronavirus pandemic. Those guidelines include operating at limited capacity and adding measures for social distancing. 
Dance facilities closed in March, along with many, many, many other thousands of Ohio businesses, as Mike DeWine and Amy Labcoat decided who wins and who loses when it comes down to shuttering businesses. They picked winners and losers. They decided what was essential. For example, McDonald's and and and. and Heavy, fatty, disgusting Big Macs and uh, and grease-laden fries were deemed to be essential. Gyms and places to work out and be healthy were deemed non-essential. Winners and losers were picked. And now they're going to have to answer the bell as to how and why. The suit claims Dr. Acton refused a records request for COVID-19 model predictions. It claims, quote, A mere 670 deaths for non-highly susceptible Ohioans among 11.7 million Ohioan, Ohioans, represents a point zero 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 zero. That's four zeros if you're counting at home. Point zero 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 five seven. That's point zero zero five seven percent of Ohioans uh, who succumbed to this virus, which is no justification to destroy all of Ohio's economy. Acton and DeWine, through their fraudulent and misleading modeling, predicted a potential of 160,000 COVID-19 cases per day. But the maximum number reached approximately 1,600 per day, a gross understatement of 100 times. End quote. That's actual language from the lawsuit filed. The state has seen a grand total of 2,735 deaths as of Tuesday's numbers from ODH, but it should be noted that those deaths are deaths with COVID or suspected to have had COVID, not deaths from COVID. And as we pointed out before many times, and as Jack Windsor and other reporters have, there are people who have been coded after their deaths, COVID-19 deaths, even if they could not confirm that they had COVID-19, but just because they came into contact with somebody who later tested positive for COVID-19, and even if they were already dying, even if they were already in, for example, hospice care, and then they died, if they had contact with somebody with COVID, they were then coded as a COVID-19 death. They've been lying about the numbers since the very beginning, and now this lawsuit which is just the latest lawsuit, but it's big because it's class action. And we'll wait and see what happens with the other lawsuits filed against Mike DeWine and Amy Labcoat and the state by places like Cedar Point, Kalahari, Kings Island, and other uh, resorts that were shut down and essentially cost billions collectively because of this decision on something that was so minor in terms of its actual impact. Uh, there are so, and by the way, two other lawsuits filed. The only ones that I've seen the inside of a courtroom thus far, the only other two lawsuits filed against DeWine and Acton, um, had judges agreeing and saying that the orders given by Amy Acton and signed off on by Mike DeWine were unconstitutional and that Ohio business owners deserve compensation or recompense for, um, for their losses. Anyway, this lawsuit continues. Acton and DeWine had had used a sledgehammer to kill the Ohio economy through their unconstitutional actions, destroying the Ohio economy, destroying the constitutional rights of all Ohioans, individuals, and businesses, outside of nursing homes and jails, when Acton and DeWine should have used a scalpel and a knife to delicately slice and dice COVID-19. This is the Liberty Class Action Lawsuit, Ohio organization. The median age deaths uh, in Ohio, of deaths in Ohio, rather, 81, according to the Ohio Department of Health. 81. 
which means millions of healthy Ohioans who were not senior citizens, who were not, uh, did not have comorbidities or underlying health conditions, were needlessly locked up, not allowed to go and do their jobs, not allowed to engage in commerce in buying or selling, all because of these unconstitutional orders. The lawsuit claims that Acton and DeWine willfully and maliciously conspired to defraud the public with misleading modeling, stripping Ohioans of their constitutional rights. Local dance studios in the suit, well, it doesn't matter what their names are, there's nine of them. They're seeking trial by jury. The suit was just filed uh, this week on Monday, and it claims that DeWine and Acton should be, at the bare minimum, removed from office. So that's just a big part of the story in Columbus. This is what happens when you have weak, spineless leaders looking to just pad their own credentials, looking for that that national pat on the back. Look, they're, they're calling me Ohio's governor. They like that I'm shutting down all of these businesses. Look how many others are following our lead. This is good for me politically. And that, to me, is all that the, weasel, uh, the governor of uh, the state of Ohio wanted to do. And he used Amy Acton, the pro-abortionist um, uh, health director that somehow, someway was appointed to this role, despite having absolutely zero clue what she was doing. And I say that, yes, somewhat with, with 2020 hindsight vision. Because clearly, her models, her uh, predictions, her statements were all wrong. Again, never have I seen in a public official, and I know she's not an elected official, she's appointed, but very very rarely, if ever, have I seen a public official be that incompetent at her job, be that wrong, that frequently about something that important, and yet receive praise. They made action figures and, and cartoons about her being the hero of Ohio. It's, it's, the world is upside down. So uh, I welcome your thoughts on this, 216-901-0945, I've got a lot more on the local stories as well, uh, because we've got a lot of national stories and interviews coming up right here on AM 1420 The Answer. Okay, it's 924. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. So as long as we are going after the weak and ineffective leaders in Columbus, uh, and starting with Mike DeWine and uh, John Husted and Amy Labcoat, let's stay in Columbus and talk about the extraordinary incompetence of Mayor Andrew Ginther. Uh, protests in downtown Columbus that have been allowed to go on unabated because of a stand-down order given by the mayor to the police department there, surrendering the streets of Columbus, refusing to protect and defend public buildings, they're going to cost you and me millions. ABC 6 in Columbus reporting on this. Protests in downtown Columbus costing the city. Uh, City officials say as far as city staffing, law enforcement, overtime, and cleanup now, it's going to cost millions of dollars. Taxpayers are going to foot the bill. Since the start of the protest, Columbus Fire has racked up $204,628 in overtime. According to Mayor Ginther's spokesperson Robin Davis, Columbus police have more than $2.7 million in overtime. Davis said the city has spent $21,317 for labor, equipment, and trash disposal, traffic management over $20,000 in overtime, uh, 
$1,700 in damage costs and graffiti removal. Infrastructure management says spent $98,000 on equipment and total label, uh, uh, total uh, labor. rather. As for state house repairs, an architect had originally estimated the repairs to cost at least $200,000. And these are, of course, including the cleanup of the red paint splattered all over the pillars, the columns in front of the state house, handprints, red handprints signifying, signifying blood on the hands, of uh, Ohio legislators for uh, African Americans or minorities in the state of Ohio being mistreated by police, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody was guarding the buildings. Nobody was allowed to engage to stop anybody who was coming up to do vandalism. Because if you engage, then you might have to arrest people. And if you have to arrest people, it might get physical. And if you have to arrest people physically, well, that's more police brutality. So the answer is to sit back and allow people to commit crimes completely at their leisure we're still trying to assess what the costs are we're waiting for a couple of quotes said laura batacletti with the capitol square review and advisory board as far as footing the bill batacletti says taxpayers will most likely have to pay so far batacletti said they paid about fifteen thousand dollars to replace the state house window panes the lanterns outside those are definitely a custom glass that'll be even more state house official state house officials say they have to replace everything from even trash cans for crying out loud clearly every day we're adding to these costs because of the need of needing to repair the damage and graffiti every day remember why have the the protests and the riots and the vandalism and the property destruction been allowed to grow out of control because mayor ginther issued a public statement saying we won't control crowds anymore literally said no more pepper spray or tear gas or pepper bombs or any of those kinds of things to disperse unruly crowds no matter how violent they get <clears throat> No matter how uh, da- dangerous and how much damage they do, we must, he said, stop dispersing crowds with things that might irritate the eyes of the crowd uh, of the crowd itself. We just have to say pretty please, and I'm sure they will back off and get back on the sidewalks and stop smashing things and spraying things and painting things and setting fire to things and tearing down statues and things. All we got to do is ask them nicely. All of this is in the lap of the incompetence. And that's T.S., incompetence, because there are numerous incompetent people in Columbus right now. At the city level, probably at the county level, but less so, and certainly at the state level, including the governor, Mike DeWine. They have lost control of our capital city, which, by the way, is probably going to be renamed before this year is out. T.J. in Cleveland, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's get on a call before we start our guest parade. Hey, T.J., go ahead. Yeah, you know, Bob, I read an article today where these little college towns like Oberlin, they're going under, you know, with what's happening with coronavirus and these universities. You know, they weaned off these, this university there, and they created their little liberal bubble to live in. Now that bubble's about ready to be burst, and they're going to have to come out into the real world. Many of them may have to relocate to the city, and they're going to get to enjoy the liberal rule that they help create. High unemployment, high crime, uh, high taxes. Uh, that old saying, what goes around comes around. Some of them people are going to experience that firsthand, Bob, and I think it's just wonderful. Well, you know, I do too, TJ. Thanks for the call. And, and you know what? President Trump talked about that. In every one of those cities with the high crime and the high unemployment and the high poverty and so on and so forth and the low graduation rates, they're all, as President Trump said, Democrat-run cities, not presently, but for decades. This is what decades of liberal leadership bring you. Denise in Lake County, before the bottom of the hour news next. Hi, Denise, go ahead. Hello? Denise, yes, I got you. Go ahead, Denise. 
Hi. Yes. You know what? We've been having um, issue with, um, you know, these nursing homes are not letting family members come in into um, visit them, even though the governor's order said, you know, he amended the order and said if, if people are, you know, like, you know, declining rapidly. Um, and what's happening, and I've heard this from her, since they haven't been able to see her in three and a half months, you know, she was fine. She was fine. She was in good. She was in good shape. But since then, now she's on hospice. She declined so rapidly, and that the, the <clears throat> I I really believe it's because family members are not able to see them. They have no reason to live. Another one, another friend of mine. She was just on the news um, last night on the eleven o'clock three um, um, eleven o'clock news. Her mother. She had a urinary tract infection that they did not treat. And it, it became sepsis because they didn't take action. Mm. And um, so it was so bad that now she was on her deathbed in the hospital. The one good thing is she's in well, the hospital and they're able to see their mother. It, it, that's the thing. As they opposed to a nursing home, yeah. And, and Denise, i got to run here because i got to get to the news and our guests. But uh, I'll say this in response to that. You're right. It is tragic. I totally agree with you. There are people in nursing homes, people who are in very, very poor shape, who are giving up hope. And when you give up hope mentally and emotionally because you're all alone and you can't see your loved ones, uh, physical, the physical deterioration follows. And it is indeed putting people into rapid decline. And it is tragic. There needs to be something uh, that allows, under, under safe sanitary conditions, people who are in those. Uh, in those homes to be able to see their loved ones. I totally agree with you. All right, it's 930. We're going to get news now and come right back and talk politics. Bob Paduchik, Senior Advisor to the Trump Campaign, next on 1420 The Answer. Okay, 9.37 now. We continue on AM 14.20. The answer, we're going to pivot to presidential politics now as uh, we are just four months plus away from the 2020 presidential election. And, um, well, things are not looking great, at least in terms of numbers at the moment, for President Donald J. Trump in his uh, fight against uh, presumptive Democrat nominee Joe Biden. Joining us to discuss is Bob Paduchik, Senior Advisor with the Trump-Pence campaign. Bob, good to have you back on the air here in Ohio. How are you? Hey, Bob, thanks for having me on. Let, let me first just uh, thank you and uh, your fine advertiser, Floor King, for uh, what they're offering to do for police officers. Uh, I work with law enforcement as part of my job on the Trump campaign and the brave men and women that every day put their lives on the line are are, are really, really under assault these days, um, it, not just on the street, but in the media and everything. And uh Appreciate uh, what you and your advertisers are doing for them. So thank you. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that, Bob, and I totally agree. They are under assault, and morale is at an all-time low in departments all across this country as officers have to stand in protection of various uh, points and uh, property, and they're standing there, and they're being verbally screamed at and assaulted you know, from within literally inches of their faces, and they have to stand there motionless as if they're Buckingham Palace guards. They're not allowed to do anything to uh, to you know free themselves of such assaults, and uh, uh, it really, really is a terrible thing. So we're all doing everything that we can. I know the president is, too. Uh, We'll talk about policing in a moment here, Bob. But let's start with um, where we are. 
tell me about the Tulsa rally. The speech was generally well received, although there were some moments that just kind of had people scratching their heads, including when he said uh, uh, that he uh, was uh, saying, hey, we should do less testing, then we would have less positive test results. Then later on, some in the administration and the campaign said, oh, he was only joking. And then later he said, no, I wasn't. Uh, that's what I said, because every time we do too much testing, we have uh, too many positive results. But at any rate, the speech was generally well-received, but the crowd was smaller than expected for Trump rallies. And the reasons were given were plentiful, but the left just seems to think the president's popularity is waning. That's what they're selling. What does the campaign say about Peducci? Well, well, it, they don't have an indicator from it based on just one rally. Let me just point out that... Uh, Almost 20 million people saw the president's rally on TV uh, and on uh, the digital mediums we put out. It was the number one uh, news uh, or number one Saturday night in the history of Fox News in terms of coverage and viewership. So, you know, and, and you add those folks up with everybody that was either streaming it through the campaign or through uh, uh uh, other medium and other platforms, and it's it's 20 million people. Uh, that's in contrast to you know Joe Biden, who's basically been hiding in his basement. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 it's striking because what, what they've done is you, you don't hear him, you don't see from him, because they know that uh, what he represents as a candidate uh, is a disaster for them. So it's 82 days or 80. Three days he's been in hiding, 83 days now, I think, hasn't done a press conference, um, and they're they're going to try to get away with that and keep doing that, you know, for five months. Bob, are you still there? Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, you, your, um, phone's cut, your phone cut out on us for a few seconds. Oh, sorry there, so about that. That's okay. Go ahead sorry and say that, that again. No, he... he Continues to he, he continues to hide from the voters, and while President Trump and uh, Vice President Pence are out there, we're going to have the Vice President here in uh, Northeast Ohio tomorrow. And, and I just think it's it, it's it's stunning that the media lets this guy hide in his basement uh, while you know uh, the president is running full time campaign. Yeah, well, that's what they prefer, because you pointed out, you know, uh, Joe Biden can't string a coherent sentence together, uh, you know, about once every two, three weeks. And so keeping him hiding and without putting him in front of microphones and crowds and questions is the best place for him. They figure let Trump hang himself. We'll just sit here and look like the quiet alternative to uh, the chaos surrounding Trump. And that's how they see it, especially when you look at the polling. So, Bob, let me ask you that. Um, You know, the poll numbers in 2016, pre-election and the months leading up to the campaign or to the election, rather, uh, we're also very discouraging for the president, and he won. Uh, but here we are in 2020, double-digit leads for Biden in several national surveys, including Fox News polling. Is it reasonable to think that the same polling services that embarrassed themselves in 2016 for being so wrong would make the same mistakes again in 2020, that their methodology wouldn't change to get better results this time? I, I think it is, and in, in, in the reasoning behind this is, there's a lot that goes into the fact of, of and we could get into a big, huge class on statistics and probability, but, but let me avoid that because this is not the best place or time to do this. But, but you wouldn't be surprised if I told you this is like deja vu all over again. Because four years ago, this was my second day on the job. 
And, you know, you look at the polling, there were 261 polls done between June and November in 2016, and only 16 of those polls had ahead, uh, which that's like less than 6%. So here's the thing. National polls are meaningless. This is an electoral college contest. It's the state-by-state battleground polls that, that matter. And the media likes to take these polls. They, they run it out. They, they play tricks with it in the size, the sample of Democrats or Republicans. They play tricks with it by picking uh, registered voters versus likely voters or adults versus likely voters. And it skews the numbers. And they do that, we've seen before, to push a particular agenda. And they want to push an agenda that um, the president won't be reelected, which you know, is not what I'm seeing on the ground. Uh, Spe- I, you know, Bob, I've, I've, done, I've done this for 34 years. I've been on winning campaigns and losing campaigns, and, and this feels like a winning campaign. Bob Paduchik is our guest. He's a senior advisor with the Trump-Pence campaign. Speaking of polling, um, let me ask you about the role that race is going to play in this thing, because prior to the uh, pandemic, uh, and prior to George Floyd and all of the unrest we have experienced for the last month plus, President Trump's approval rating among African Americans was through the roof. He had a 30, 34, 35 percent. I think 41 was the highest I saw at one point or another of either approve or strongly approve of the job that he is doing among African Americans. And I know that was terrifying to the Democrats. Um, because they need to get 90 plus percent of the black vote in order to win any election. Uh, but he was doing great, and now we have this, though. Now we have COVID-19, and now we have the racial riots that are going on all over the country. How do you think, and we have people like, you know, the leader of Black Lives Matter, one of the co-founders, uh, Patrice Cullors, doing interviews and saying that we are trained Marxists, and our goal is to remove Trump from office, not in November, but prior to that. Uh, and, and again, that's a, 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 a co-founder of Black Lives Matter. So add all of those things up, Bob Paduchik, and tell me what you think the Trump campaign can expect from the African-American voters. Well, I, I think nobody, I, I, I think there, there are few people that are concerned about crime in their neighborhood as African-American voters. And that's why many of them oppose this idea of defunding the police. Uh, look, I think at the end of the day, there is a lot of propaganda and bluster on the left of, of, about these folks that are tearing down statues and setting buildings on fire and spray painting capitals. Uh, people, people don't like that. Whether, whether you're white, black, you, you don't like this lawlessness. Um, and Joe Biden, who's been hiding in his basement, has been silent on these issues. He has not criticized the tearing down of statues, the damaging of public property, and the disruption of commerce and traffic in, in our, our neighborhoods. I mean, th- these things are happening, Bob, in cities that have been run by Democrats for years, for decades. And, and these problems are, are happening in Democrat-run cities. Now, Democrats are saying it's because of systemic racism and, and, and whatnot. Well, it's, it's their police department. It's their chief of police. It's their police commissioner. Uh, they're the ones that seem to not be able to do anything about this but, but cast the blame. Uh, I think when people look at these situations, they want 
their families and their homes and their businesses to be protected and to be safe. And Joe Biden has no interest in doing that. And yeah. clearly, uh, it, it's a campaign issue that would continue to drive because the president believes that we need to have law and order. I mean, that's what government is supposed to do, is to keep mm-hmm. the peace. And, uh, you know, Joe Biden will not come out and say he's against uh, this vandalism or against the, 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 the rioting that takes place because he is afraid it will hurt his constituency on the far left. And um, that's why you don't see him. His spokespeople will say things, but you don't see Joe Biden coming out and, and discussing this issue because he would rather hide and let the uh, lamestream media and others do his bidding. Uh, Bob Paduchik is our guest. Yeah, and I and I and I really hope you're right. I hope that uh, you know the African American voters that loved President Trump prior to all of this remember the fact that he was responsible for the lowest unemployment in history for African Americans, the highest parti- workforce participation rate in history for African Americans. While Joe Biden, in his time uh, with um, uh, Barack Obama in the White House, uh, you know, were responsible for essentially ignoring. Uh, and and Joe Biden even going back to forget about his time as the uh, uh, vice president, but even going back when he was in the Senate with uh, and, and supporting Bill Clinton and helping to write that crime bill that put more African Americans in prison, and <laughs> President Donald Trump has put more African Americans to work. You would think that the African American community will remember that come November. At least I hope that they will. And let's let's pivot now to statues. Uh, Tom Cotton. Uh, said that he wants to see, see, uh, anybody who is trying to tear down, uh, statues of American founders and American, uh, you know, all of these American monuments, he wants to see them go to prison for 10 years. And quite literally, they can under the, uh, uh, Veterans Memorial Preservation and Recognition Act. President Trump said the same thing. You destroy a statue on federal property that commemorates the military service of somebody like Andrew Jackson, uh, you should go to prison for 10 years. And by the way, we have you on tape, those of you who are doing these things is this the right message for the president to send right now look i think the majority of americans agree with this i mean it, whether i know you i know, do you don't have to well you, i mean listen uh you know three in you know communist a lot of I mean, you don't have to be 1984 by George Orwell to understand what what people are trying to do here. And you don't have to be a supporter of of the South to understand um, the problem of people, vandals, going down and tearing down statues and things. I mean, there there's the, uh, the actual criminal damaging that's taking place there. But, the, you know, there, there, that's a completely different thing than a city council voting to remove a statue as opposed to a bunch of uh, uh, people uh, going out and, and tearing it down and desecrating it. Um, mm-hmm. That's just not the way, I mean, that's just not the way this republic works. And, um, it, look, if it takes a heavy prosecution to get people's attention and, and to get them to stop, um, that's what it takes. 
Bob, last thing before you go, on the civil unrest and everything else that's going on with the CHOP zone in Seattle and the establishment of similar type things going on in Washington, D.C., the president has talked uh, and said, talked about this and said, if the state and local leaders won't do anything, I will. I'll send in military, or I'll send in guardsmen or whatever I have to to reclaim these areas under in the name of law and order and in the name of the United States of America. Um, the mayor of Seattle wouldn't do anything and then eventually said, okay, we'll do something now, but it won't involve police. It'll involve pretty please. Uh, and the mayor of Oakland, Libby Schaaf, by the way, I don't know if you heard this one too, said we don't want to just reform the police. We want to eliminate the police. We want to have a community sort of um, assistance program that does not involve guns or badges. Uh, we're, we're talking about literally the elimination of law and order in America. What is the president prepared to do to reclaim those areas and to actually make sure that law and order is the order of the day? Look, I don't want to speak for the administration of the White House on here because I'm on the political uh, end of the sandbox. But but let me just point something out. Um, the position of the mayor of Seattle is untenable in terms of governance. Uh, her own citizens are suffering under the lawlessness, lawlessness that she allows to take place in the city that she governs. We see that in other cities uh, where there are Democrat mayors that are beholden to a left-wing base, a radical left-wing base, that, that is much different than the Democrat Party that my mother or her parents belong to. Uh, this radicalism is, is, is very detrimental uh, to the, those folks' well-being. And, and there's no one else that's responsible for this in their city than that mayor. And the accountability is taking place. That's why you see a shift. That's why she said, oh, this is the summer of love, and now she's got this problem she's got to fix. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to predict that those folks aren't just going to say, hey, we'll leave. Don't worry. We'll, we'll tear down our autonomous zone, and we'll, we'll walk out of here. I, I don't think that's going to happen. And, and I don't the only either. Thing she's done, the only thing she's done is by belonging this is she's created a more dangerous situation uh, where these folks had a, had had opportunity to organize and and God knows what they're doing uh, and I pray for the the whether it's the the National Guard or the police whoever has to go in and clean up that mess I pray for them because uh, the, this mayor has unnecessarily put them at greater risk. Bob Paduchik, senior advisor with the Trump-Pence campaign, talking about a host of issues facing the president and the presidential campaign as we get uh, with close to four months away from the uh, re-election of Donald J. Trump to the Oval Office. Bob, thanks so much for your time. I know there's a lot going on right now. There's a lot of issues that you guys are dealing with on the trail. Thanks for making the time for us. Thanks, Bob. Really appreciate it. Take care, and God bless. You too. Thank you so much, uh, very much. Uh, okay, it's 9.53. We'll take a time out and come right back with a call or two before the top of the hour. Uh, Michael Medved, don't forget, going to join me after the top of the hour. You're going to want to hear this. Trust me on AM 1420, The Answer. Pushing up on 9.59 here, so not a lot of time for a long segment. So what I want to do instead is to set up what is coming. Senator Tim Kaine, Democrat senator, said last week, speaking on the floor of the United States Senate, that the United States, with all of its shameful history, did not inherit slavery. Tim Kaine said that the United States invented slavery. 
We created slavery. We are responsible for slavery. Michael Medved, who's, of course, a Salem Media personality and a best-selling author, wrote a book uh, that I read several years ago, and it came right, you know, right back to, to the forefront of my mind the moment I heard Tim Kaine say this. One of the chapters in the book, The Ten Great Myths uh, About America, is that slavery is indeed a uniquely American institution. That what Tim Kaine said is exactly the myth that Michael Medved wrote about. And the moment I saw that, I said, i got to read that chapter again. And I said, we need to talk to Michael Medved about this. I'm going to ask Michael Medved to respond to Tim Kaine's suggestion, uh, really accusation that America is responsible for the creation of slavery, uh, when he joins us next, right after the top of the hour news on AM 1420, The Answer. This is AM 1420, The Answer, WHK, W273DG, Cleveland, a service of Salem Media Group, with your local 